and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. Good morning. It is great to see each and every one of you here and also want to give a hearty welcome to all of you who are joining us by live stream today. Um, It's very uh, important that you're here with us as well. And so we welcome you. We welcome all of you. And whether you're here in the building or you're joining us online, and uh, we uh, are grateful that you've taken time out of your day, out of your week to to, uh, to join us today. Good to have you. Hey, just a quick announcement, just so that you know, uh, most of you in the room know that I sent a letter out along with Mark Large, our moderator, a uh, month ago about our giving. And we have a bit of an update that's out there on the round table uh, in, in the lobby. And uh, since it is your church, not my church, your church, um, just want to keep you informed. Uh, we had a good giving month in September. Uh, we are in a surplus position in our missions giving, which is great. We are still running a deficit in our general fund. It's smaller than it was than, uh, because we of our giving in September, but uh, we still are in a deficit. So just wanted to make you aware of that and ask you to do kind of what we talked about in that letter, which is to pray to increase your giving as God would have you to give and just continue to trust God to help us close that deficit up uh, in the next few months and um, um, make sure that we have all the funding that we need to continue our ministry. Good. Wonderful. Pray with me, would you please? Father God, we thank you for this time that uh, we can uh, share together in worship and praise, sing songs about you, greet each other with the love of Christ and... um, Lord, also just uh, open your word and and see how it can both challenge and encourage us as your people. So, Lord, uh, may the words of my mouth, may the the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight, because, Lord, you are our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, hundreds of years ago, uh, the country of Spain was a major European power. And it controlled most of the lands on both sides of the Mediterranean Sea. And at that particular time in history, Spain produced coins uh, that pictured the Straits of Gibraltar located on the western edge of the Mediterranean. And on those coins were inscribed the Latin words non plus ultra, non plus ultra, which meant no more beyond, no more beyond. The Spaniards thought that they had discovered all there was to discover. And uh, then in 1492, this little fellow named Christopher Columbus dropped by and convinced the Spaniards to finance his explorations, and he discovered where we're living now. (laughs) The the new world changed everything. 
kicked off a revolution in world culture, global economy, geopolitics, changed everything. And so the proud nation of Spain eventually had to admit its arrogance and its ignorance, so it took off the negative non from its coinage and left the words plus ultra on them. More beyond. So no longer no more beyond, but instead more beyond. And more beyond is a really appropriate way to summarize what Paul was getting at in the passage of 2 Corinthians that I want you to reflect with me on today. We're making a study of his second letter uh, to a group of Christians living in this large city of Corinth in the first century. And in a multitude of ways, Paul revealed that he was living a cruciform life. That word cruciform means cross-shaped. He had a life that was shaped by the cross of Jesus. In other words, Paul's life, Paul's ministry resembled Jesus and reminded uh, people of the life and the ministry of Jesus in significant ways. And your life and my life can also be cruciform. We also can have, and we should have, a cross-shaped life as followers of Jesus, lives that resemble and reflect others about Jesus, our Savior. So the passage that I want you to think with me about together today is all about your future and my future. And uh, it's about what's going to happen after uh, all of us after we die. So uh, this ought to be interesting for everybody in the room, right? So let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 10 in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you would, uh, put your eyeballs on God's Word in whatever form you can have it there. And follow along as I read, beginning at verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here we go. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we were in this tent, we groan in our burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Interesting passage. You know, Paul believed, Paul believed that what happened to him and other Christians after we die was a vital part 
of being able to overcome very serious obstacles and setbacks in his own life and ministry. The Holy Spirit revealed that there's a whole lot more beyond. And, and Paul was, was powerfully motivated by his future resurrection. And it was a big reason that Paul put up with all of the suffering and the humiliation and the difficulties that he endured day after day, sharing Jesus with others, helping new Christians like the Corinthians get their spiritual act together. And if he wasn't certain about his future resurrection, Paul would have found his life intolerable and meaningless. That's how important it was to him. And, and here is something that is profoundly important to you and me, or at least it should be. How you conceive of the future, and particularly what you think will happen to you after you die, is a decisive issue. Why? Because the way in which I view my future... Oh, we lost our screen, didn't we? Okay. Because in the way that we... Uh, view our future, that determines the way that we live today. Okay? Let me say that again. The way that you and I view the future determines the way that we live today. You know, there are some people who believe that when you die, it's no more beyond, non plus ultra. I don't know how you live with that mentality, but some people do. You just cease to exist. That's what they believe, period. And that powerfully affects how they live their lives every day. Now, most people hope that there is more beyond plus ultra, but they only have uh, a vague uh, fantasy of what that's going to be like. And that also powerfully affects how they live their lives every day. Followers of Jesus, we, we believe that God has revealed some very important information about our future. It's most definitely plus ultra, more beyond. And you know what else? It's highly motivating. If we believe it, it actually changes the way that we go out and live each and every day. And so as I reflected on these verses, I found four key facts about my future and your future, if you're a child of God, that profoundly affect my present and how I live today. My future molds and shapes my present. And if you've been born again by the Holy Spirit and you're a child of God today, these four facts are just as true about your future and they can and they should have the power to affect how you live in the present significantly. So here's fact number one. I will have a new body after I die. I will have a new body after I die. When it comes to my future, I will have, those of you who are taking notes, you ready to go? I will have a resurrected, physical, perfect, and eternal body made by God himself. 
Look at what verse 1 says again. For we know that when this earthly tent, by the way, that's just a metaphor for your body. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. And so right here at the beginning of what we read, Paul compared your human body here to a tent, something physical, yes, but but something also temporary. I mean, a tent isn't something that you ordinarily live in permanently, is it? But Paul said that, that we will have a resurrected body in heaven, which he referred to here as a house. So a house is permanent, a tent is, is temporary. That's part of Paul's train of thought here. And because it will be made by God himself, this new resurrected body will be permanent, in, eternal, indestructible. You know, I, I've noticed over the years that, that even, even Christians get their future wrong. Um, Let's make sure we get rid of some myths. My friend, you will not become an angel after you die and be sent back to earth to help people like Clarence the angel in, in, in that movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Not going to happen. You're, you're not going to be uh, a kind of like a ghost with, with wings uh, floating on clouds and sporting a golden harp. No, 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 no. Instead, God is going to give us a resurrected, new, physical, perfect body that we're going to occupy for all eternity. That's very clearly taught in verse 3. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. So, you know, heaven is often depicted as this kind of dreamy, non-physical place where we will just sort of float around as spirit beings for eternity. Wrong. Heaven is and will be a physical place, and you will have a physical body that you're going to live in. Well, what's that new body going to be like? Well, we can conclude from some other scriptures, we don't have time to look at them all today, that there will be some kind of fundamental continuity between our present body and that it will resemble Jesus' resurrection body. Here's what the Bible says elsewhere. Again, this is Paul in another letter. What does he say? He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So that's the future. So how does the fact that... that, uh, that about this, my future body, how, how is that going to affect how I live today? Well, I thank God for my earthly body, but I look forward to a better body. How many of you are looking forward to a better body? All right. I thought so. Um, how many of you, how do you feel about your body today? Some, some of you are saying, Pastor Rick, you didn't really have to go there, did you? Come on. And, and Paul sort of alluded to this issue in verse 2. We grow weary in our present bodies. Amen? Yeah. And we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. Now, God made our earthly bodies too. 
And, you know, they are wonderfully miraculous in many ways, and they clearly point to God's amazing creative power. So we're thankful for these bodies. We appreciate them. We take good care of them. But we also know that our physical bodies have been negatively affected by living in a sinful world. And so they're subject to all kinds of diseases. They're they're subject to aging. Can you believe that? Yeah, they get old. And worst of all, they eventually die and decay and, and, and return to dust. So we learn to live with this tension every day. And, and Paul used the word groan here, which is reflected in other translations. Meanwhile, we what? Groan. Longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Now, when I first read that word, I said, oh, that's, that's what I do when I get up in the morning. Oh, groan. Yeah, okay. This is, not, this is not groaning in pain. It's not groaning in weariness. This, this is a kid groaning for Christmas Day to arrive. This is, this is anticipation groaning. This is, I can't wait groaning. Uh, and, and so we live our lives today longing for something wonderful to happen that hasn't quite gotten around to happening yet. And we're thankful for our present body, yes, but we eagerly look forward to a better body ahead. Plus ultra, plus ultra, more beyond. Well, here's a second great fact from our passage today. I will be alive after I die. I will be alive after I die. When it comes to my future, I will live forever in the presence of God. As a child of God, you had a beginning the day that you were conceived in your mother's womb. But you will never have an end. Did you know that? You are an eternal being that will live forever. Rather, we, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. Folks, I, I, I can't really, I mean, I've I've known this and preached this over the years, but I can't really get my brain around the fact that I'm going to live forever in God's presence. Can you? I mean, I I just can't really comprehend that. Nevertheless, I receive it by faith because God's Word proclaims it here and elsewhere explicitly. And Paul reminded us that, that of that fact right here in our passage, for we live by believing and not by seeing. So that's a fact about our future. So how does it affect how I live today, my present? Well, I am grateful for this life, but I look forward to a better life. And so just as uh, with my physical body, I am profoundly grateful to God for bringing me into existence, giving me life. After all, by giving me physical life in this world, on this earth, God has made it possible for me to know him and to live with him for eternity. Now, Paul never said that death was a good thing. That's that's not what the Bible teaches. After all, death is directly related to human sin, which is responsible for destroying all life. And, And death is the last enemy that God is going to destroy. But Paul definitely saw death as preferable 
to having some sort of endless life in this, this sinful, fallen world. You've heard about those people that want to, you know, extend their bodies, have them, put them in some kind of deep freeze, bring them back later on. Why? Okay? Uh, there is most definitely a better life ahead in the future for you and me, just like there's a better body ahead. And, and you know what? Death cannot and it will not end or sever our relationship with God. Instead, it will allow our relationship with our Lord and our Savior to get to a new level, a deeper level, a better level than it is here on this earth. And so, so death actually allows us to enter into a relationship with God that we just simply cannot experience in this world or in this life. And the deposit or the down payment for that perfect future relationship is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives right now. I mean, that's what Paul said here, verse 5. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. And so uh, when the Holy Spirit enables you to sense God's presence or prompts you to love and obey your heavenly Father, or provides you with compassion for lost or hurting people, or gives you his peace in the midst of, of life's trials. It's the sign. He is the promise that you will receive everything that God has for you in heaven. You know, uh, there's a little girl, uh, Ellen, by the, uh, by the name of Ellen, nine years old, and she sent a letter to her pastor that said, Dear Pastor... I hope to go to heaven someday, but later rather than sooner. Love, Ellen. And I would suggest that Ellen speaks for just about everybody. Um, we all want to go to heaven, but later as opposed to sooner. And Paul, for one, saw it differently. He hoped to get there sooner rather than later. In another letter to another church, here's what he wrote. I long to go and to be with Christ, which would be far better for me. You know, author and speaker Lewis Smeads uh, used to ask his students if they wanted to go to heaven when they died. Everybody would raise their hand. And this was a, a Christian school and college, and, and, and then he would ask, well, now be honest today, who would like to go to heaven today? Well, um, a few super spiritual folk will, you know, kind of raise their hands a little bit. And they kind of, you know, thought about it, thought they were given the correct answer, looking around to see if anybody else had their hand up, nobody else did. Most people, when it comes to heaven, want a rain check, right? Um, and those young people were the same. I mean, they were ready to die. They, they all had faith in the Lord Jesus, but just not today. And then Smeeds would, would ask, who would like to see the world that we live in set straight once and for all tomorrow? You know, no more coals, no more pandemic no more cancers. Hungry people would have plenty. No one would lift a finger to harm another. We would be at peace with everyone, even with ourselves. And Smeeds would then ask his students, and anybody interested in that? 
and all the hands would go up. Friend, there was a frenzy of hand lifting in that classroom. And then Smees would point out that if that's the new world, if that's what we really want, then heaven is where you and I want to be and need to be. You know, in the book of Revelation, the Holy Spirit gave the great Christian leader John a snapshot of the better life that's coming for every child of God. And here's what he writes. Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Does that that sound like a better life to you? Amen. Plus ultra, more beyond, more beyond. Well, that leads to a third great fact from our passage today. Fact number three, I will be in heaven after I die. I'll be in heaven after I die. When it comes to my future, heaven will be my eternal home. And twice Paul wrote here, Notice how he phrases it. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. Verse 8, yes, we are fully confident we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. That's how Paul would talk about heaven. You know, home is a, it's a powerful word, isn't it? A house is just a building. But, but home, oh, that's an environment. It's where we belong. It's, it's where we're accepted. It's where we feel comfortable. It's where we're loved. You know, we've all heard the, the old saying, be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. Yeah. And so all of us, at least most of us, I think, would prefer a shack where we belong to a mansion where we feel unwelcome. We would prefer living in a shack where we're accepted to a mansion where we're rejected. We'd prefer a shack where we're comfortable to a mansion where we just live with anxiety. We would prefer living in a shack where we're loved to a mansion where we're unwanted because it's home. So how does this fact about where we're going to live after we die, how does that affect my present today, my life today? Well, I appreciate this world, but a new and a better home is coming. If you've ever had that rather odd feeling that you don't just quite fit into this world, there's a very simple explanation. You don't. You don't. And sometimes the older that you get, the less at home you feel in this world. The old gospel song put it memorably, and I think rightly, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. 
Friends, if you're a child of God, this is not your real and final home. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will remind you of that fact. You're not home yet. Not here. Not yet. I got amused by something I read by author Paul David Tripp. Um, he, he, he writes that the whole purpose of wilderness camping is to make a person long for home again. Um, you know, on that first day in the woods, putting up that tent is exciting, isn't it? But three days later, the tent has these some unpleasant odors that you can't really explain anymore. And, you know, you, you love the taste of food cooked over an open flame, but three days later, you're tired of foraging for wood and you're irritated by how fast the food burns. And, and you were excited at the prospect of, of catching your dinner from the stream that ran, that runs by your campsite, which is reported to be teeming with trout. But all you've done is snag the bottom, the roots at the bottom of the uh, stream. And after four days of camping, your back hurts. There seems to be no more wood to gather for your fire. You're tired of trying to keep the, the fire lit. And, and you look into what was once an ice and food-filled cooler to see the steaks that you've kept until now looking kind of gray and floating in a pool of blood-stained water. Are you getting the picture? And suddenly you begin to think fondly of home. And you stand there hoping and praying someone will say, why don't we just go home? And your four days in the wilderness have accomplished their mission. They have prepared you to appreciate home. And this world makes us long for heaven. Yeah. This world isn't, it's not like a really fun or good amusement park, folks. This world is a broken place groaning for redemption. And living here is meant to prepare you and me and make us long for eternity there. Now, heaven's not going to be any shack. I want you to understand something I said earlier. No shack, certainly not. The word mansion can't even really begin to describe the glory and the grandeur of heaven. You know, you know the, the more I study Scripture, the more I have come to see that there's likely a difference between what I would call present heaven and future heaven. The Bible doesn't say a lot about heaven either way, but, but there seems to be that, that understanding. Um, and, and verse 8 assures us that when a follower of Jesus dies you immediately enter into the actual presence of Jesus. That's what verse 8 says. Yes, we are fully confident we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. Now, future heaven will actually be this world, renewed, recreated, transformed by God himself sometime after the second coming of Jesus. The Bible says elsewhere, but we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. That's going to be where we spend eternity. And so you, you and I will spend eternity on planet earth restored and rene renewed so it is perfect in every way. And the best part of it is the fact that both 
present heaven and future heaven will feel like home in every, every sense of that word. And maybe the most important fact to remember is that our eternal home, heaven, is really more of a person than a place. It is a place, but the person and the place are almost merged. Ultimately, home is wherever God is. For then we will be what? At home with the Lord. Yeah. Plus ultra. More beyond. More beyond. Well, here's a final great fact that we need to bear in mind today. I will be judged after I die. I will be judged after I die. When it comes to my future, God will hold me accountable. I mean, be honest with me. How does verse 10 make you feel? For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. You know what I have felt sometimes? Uh-oh. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Um... What, what is this about being judged? Folks, um, here's what that verse cannot mean if you believe the rest of Scripture. It cannot mean that we are, being, we are going to be judged as to whether we should get into heaven or not. It cannot mean that Jesus will close or open the door of heaven to us on the basis of whether we've done enough good works to get into it. It cannot be in any way a denial of justification by grace through faith. You say, well, why not? Because if that were true, it would be a contradiction of other Scripture, some of which Paul himself wrote. So, I mean, Paul would be contradicting himself. For example, he wrote elsewhere, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. So when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the debt through his death for anyone and everyone who puts faith in him. But here's what the verse does mean. There's going to be a future evaluation of my life and yours. And Jesus is going to hold you and me accountable. How we lived will be evaluated. How we served King Jesus will be scrutinized. How we use the time and the talents and the treasure that God entrusted to us in this life will be considered from every angle. Rewards will be given or withheld on the basis of that examination. You know, Paul wrote a little bit about this in his first letter to the same group of Christians. And here's what he wrote in 1 Corinthians. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Interesting passage. Every authentic follower of Jesus is going to live eternally with God in heaven. That's true. True enough. But not every believer is going to be equally rewarded. 
And so d- does that mean that you and I should, should be afraid of this future judgment? I, I don't think so. After all, folks, the one who judges me and the one who judges you with the most fairness is also the one who loves you and me the best. The one who's going to judge you is also the one who died for you. So, folks, that's a fact. It's an inescapable fact about your future and mine. So how does that, how should that affect the way we live today, my present? I always make it my goal to please Jesus. You know, what I do in this life matters in eternity. I'm not sure we always understand that, but it does. My life now has consequences in eternity that I'm not really sure that we know of yet. And so it shouldn't matter to me what other Christians do or don't do. I'm not accountable to them. I'm accountable to King Jesus. I'm going to be evaluated by him. I'll be scrutinized by him. I'll be examined by him. And I I cannot afford to go out and live indifferently and with no or little passion for the kingdom of God. God forbid. The goal of my life every day that I breathe should be to please Jesus. And Paul saw the implication clearly enough right there in verse 9. So whether we're here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to what? Tell me. Please him. And even though I I long for that new resurrected body and anticipate longingly that eternal perfect life with God and look forward to being in my real home, my goal in this life is to please the Lord in every possible way on any given day. So I can earn a place in heaven? No, 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 no. thousand times no. Instead, I live to please him because I am so eternally grateful for what Jesus has done for me. I live to please him because I love him most of all. Many of you know and maybe you've enjoyed the music of singer and songwriter uh, James Taylor. And um, he was, probably was an interview of some kind. He was talking about one of his songs that I'm, I'm not familiar with. I know several of James Taylor's songs, but I, there's another song that he sings called Mean Old Man. Anybody, anybody heard that one? No, you see, that, nobody knows that song. But that's like one of the songs that he thinks is one of his major accomplishments. You know why? Because after the song came up, it came out, he got a phone call from Paul McCartney one of the former Beatles, who said that he really admired that song. He he thought it was such a great song that it was written by some other famous songwriter. And, of course, James Taylor was thrilled. I mean, Paul McCartney called him and complimented him on his song. He said on another occasion, Bob Dylan called him about another song completely and told him how much he, he liked the song that James Taylor had had written. And just reflecting on all that, um, James Taylor said, um, he said, you know, (laughs) that's enough for me. I, I can have 10 critics blow me out of the water. 
But if every once in a while a Paul McCartney or a Bob Dylan calls and compliments me on a song and says, keep going, kid, that's all I need. Whose words of praise are you looking for? Whose words of rebuke would you not want to hear more than any other? Who is it that you want to please? And who is it that you would want to avoid failing? At all costs. Reading about a pastor who was facilitating a funeral service, and he had a little old lady come up to him and say, You know, Pastor, you know what failure is? And he said, No, tell me. And this little old lady made this statement. She said, Failure is being successful at the things that don't matter. Wow. Failure is being successful at the things that don't matter. That's quite an observation. Well, if that's true, then what's success? Well, success is hearing well done from the only lips that matter. Your life and my life, when it comes to Jesus Christ in the future, you know what it's about, folks? It's, it's, it's plus ultra. It's more beyond. Are you cruciform, Christian? Do you have a cross-shaped life? Because if you have a cross-shaped life, then your understanding of the future is affecting powerfully how you live your life today in the present. And you're making it your goal and your mission to please God every day that you live. Because that's what matters the most. To hear his well done at the end of life and as we move into eternity. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you today for this Wonderful passage of Scripture just kind of tucked into 2 Corinthians. It kind of shows up. Maybe we weren't expecting it, but there it is. And it's really a message about our future. And, Lord, what I, what I want all of us to see today is, is how that can powerfully affect the way that we live in the present. So, Lord, we want to thank you that because of Jesus, we're going to have a new body after we die. We're going to be alive after we die. We're going to be in heaven after we die. Oh, and, and, and we're going to face a judgment after we die. And in it and through it, what we really need to do is to keep our eyes on the goal, which is to please you. And so, Lord, as we go out to live the rest of this day and this week, uh, may that vision of the future powerfully impact how we live today in the present. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.